He was scared. He was fearful. He was disillusioned. He didn't know what to do or where to go next. His life was turned upside down. This man, Peter, dedicated his life to following Jesus that was now dead. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the redeemer of God's people was now gone. He was crucified like any other criminal. Peter had left everything, his profession, his old life entirely to serve the Lord. And now that Jesus was killed by the Romans and the Jewish leaders, he wasn't sure what to do next. Peter was discouraged. He was scared. He was hopeless. It got so bad that while Peter, while Jesus was being crucified, Peter denied him on three separate occasions. But then we fast forward not too long after the death of Christ. And we see that Peter is a different man entirely, altogether. He was discouraged. He was sad. He was depressed. He was hopeless. But now he's bold. He's passionate. He's fearless. He's full of hope. What changed Peter? What happened to him? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts 2. 22 through 24. Acts 2, 22 through 24. Where we'll get an answer. This is God's holy word. And it says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, And with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So what happened? What caused him to change? We saw that Peter couldn't even admit to being a follower of Christ just days earlier. And now he stands up on the day of Pentecost in front of all the Jewish leaders and people alike and proclaims that Christ is both Lord and Savior. What happened to Peter? What transformed him? Well, let's look at verse 24 again. And we get a hint here. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah, was the Redeemer, was the Savior of all because God raised him from the grave, raised him from the dead. Peter Peter saw with his own eyes that Jesus was dead and is alive again. Amen? And this morning, today, 
we celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus. As this was the foremost holiday in the early church. And all going back all the way to the first century, right after the apostles. And Christ today is still redeeming people to himself, transforming them for the Father's glory. As we know that the power that raised Christ from the dead works in those of us who are now believers in Christ Jesus as well. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 16, where we'll see Christ in all his fullness. Often it seems we don't recognize that Christ is in the middle of the Old Testament. As we discussed a couple weeks ago, Christ didn't come to change, nor did he come to ignore, nor did he come to destroy the law or the Old Testament, but he came to fulfill it. He completed it. He made it whole. Christ is the author of the Old and the New Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God. The word of God tells us not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. All scripture is God's word. It is all inerrant and infallible from Genesis to Revelation. As I mentioned earlier, our main text this morning will be Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2, as we continue our study through the book of Psalms. And I've entitled this message with a question, where is your hope? Where is your hope this morning? You may be here today placing your hope in yourself. Or you may be here this morning placing your hope in someone else. Or your hope may be wrapped up in the things that you have. Or the things that you do. Or you might be here this morning totally hopeless. You may have lost all hope and you aren't sure what to think or what to believe. And even about this whole Jesus thing, you know, you're not sure about it anymore. But I would encourage you that there is real hope. There is one who gives all hope and without him we have no hope. And that of course is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well this leads me to my first question. How do we explain biblical hope? Or how do we look at hope from a biblical perspective? Because we have to first understand what hope is biblically because many look at hope as a good feeling or as a wish. Jay Adams, the biblical counselor, says that worldly hope, he explains that sort of a hope-so hope. For example... I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, I hope my children, only one of them's here right now, but I hope he behaves during the service, right? Or, I hope I don't get sick. This type of hope does not give us true assurance or real confidence, but biblical hope is altogether different than worldly hope. Biblical hope is not a feeling, nor is it a wish, but a confident assurance of God's promises coming to fruition. For example, if we're in Christ Jesus, we have a hope. We have a confidence. We have a faith that when we die, we will live with him for all eternity. Amen? This hope is reality. We can know it for certain. Why? Because we 
can trust God and his word. So let's jump into Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2. As we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We are in awe, especially recognizing it's Resurrection Sunday. What you did for us. Gave your only son to save wicked sinners, wretched people like us. How we should be in awe of you, in awe of your grace and your mercy, your patience, your overwhelming kindness for us. Thank you, Father. We thank you that we can come together and praise you in song in preaching, hearing the word, hearing just the beautiful songs saying this morning, Father, help us to be uplifted. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be convicted. Help us to be challenged by your truths, Father. Help it not to fall on hardened hearts and deaf ears, but soften us. Help us, Father, to be humble, to love you, to love others. Father, I ask that you be with us as we hear your word. May your spirit work mightily on our hearts. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 16, 1 and 2 says this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So the first thing that stands out in verse 2 is that David mentions God with three different names, three variations of God. Let's read it again, verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you, the psalmist says. The English translations does not really give justice to the text because the original language here in Hebrew shows three different names for God here. The English translation tries to show the differentiation by giving variations of God's name by saying God or making Lord all capitals, but this still does not explain or define the various names of God that are found in these passages, this text that we're in. When David says, preserve me, O God, the Hebrew word for God here is El, E-L. El is the most common name for God, and it means strong and mighty God. So David calls on God, which is perfect here, because he calls on God and says, the strong and mighty God, protect me, preserve me, right? But why did David actually ask and plead with God to protect him? To save him. Well, the psalm honestly does not tell us why. It doesn't tell us the circumstances surrounding the psalm. That the, the problems, the struggles that David is dealing with. But we recognize that David faced death on many occasions. He fought wild beasts as a shepherd. He battled in many wars as a warrior and a king. He even had his own king, King Saul, try to kill him because Saul was jealous of David. 
So we see in David's life that whatever circumstances or problems or trials that he faced, God was his refuge. It's who he ran to. God was David's shelter. God was David's hope. David had his hope in God alone. He didn't put his trust in the circumstances of life or in other people, but in the eternal, almighty God. There are also some of us this morning like David who are pleading right now for God's help. At this very moment, we are going through a lot. We may be facing the worst circumstances of our life right now. We may be scared. We may be fearful. We may be worried. We may be anxious. We may even be just really angry. Or we could even be depressed. So I think we should look to somebody in Scripture who has been through a lot, who understands suffering, who knows what it's like to go through trials of many kinds. A man that pops in my head is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, his life went from one trial to the next. He knew what it was like to be scared. He knew what it was like to be alone. He knew what it was like to be anxious. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 18, Paul discusses some of the troubles, the persecutions he faced as a believer. But near the end of the section that we're about to read, he, it's astonishing. It's amazing the way he looks at his trials, his problems that he is facing. And I have 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 18. They will be on the screens behind us. So as I read, you can just follow along. It says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we so we also speak, knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus and will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, I've experienced pain and suffering in every way. 
And he's not talking about just mental anguish like ridicule or being mocked, but he says we are always being given over to death. He was saying that death was a real and present danger at any moment in his life, especially living in the culture in the first century in Rome. In Rome, they didn't like Christians very much. They sort of hated them. Whether it was the Roman Colosseum where the Christians were thrown into the arena to face starving beasts that were ready to tear them apart and devour them, or the Roman parties where they would place Christians on stakes and light them on fire and use them as candles to give light into the night as they indulge themselves, or the numerous ways the Romans learned to execute their enemies like the Christians in the most horrific ways, like crucifixion, skinning alive, burning alive, being fed to wild, starving lions, bears, whatever they could find. This is what Paul faced and the early Christians faced daily in the first century. And he concludes in verse 16 and 17 again. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul says, Paul blows us away. He says his troubles of death that he's dealing with on a daily basis and possibly getting his head chopped off or whatever it was, was facing his future, he says, it's light and momentary. It's light and momentary. It's not that big of a deal. Paul tells us whatever suffering he faces on this earth is nothing compared to what we receive in Christ. Paul says the issues, the problems, the struggles are not worth fretting over when I think about my hope, my future with Christ. And this leads to point number one. Our hope in Christ far outweighs the sufferings we face on this earth. Point number one says, our hope in Christ far outweighs the sufferings we face on earth. How often are we letting God's word challenge our thinking by being reminded that our problems are light and momentary compared to what we have in Christ Jesus? Because often it seems We get pretty consumed by our struggles, by our problems, that our trials. We get pretty overwhelmed really easily. We get tired and worn out. But Scripture tells us to turn to Christ, to hold on to Christ, continue to work for Christ. Be faithful to the Word of God and follow Him, obey Him. But let's turn back to Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2. It says again, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So the second name for God is found in the beginning of verse 2. When David says, I say to the Lord, all capitals, really important. We got to take a moment and think about what that means. The Hebrew word for God here is Jehovah or Yahweh. It was the highest name that they had for God. And this is the name that God gave to Moses to explain who he was to the Israelites. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell him that. 
This was a sacred name. This was a reverent name. It showed the holiness, the majesty, and greatness of our God. And it makes sense that David says, I say to the Lord, all capitals, Yahweh, Jehovah, I have no good apart from you. David was reminded of God's holiness and his sinfulness. David had the right view of God and the right perspective of himself. David thought like this, God is great, God is holy. I, on the other hand, yes, I'm king. Yes, I'm leader of Israel, but I am small and insignificant compared to the God that I worship. We get a glimpse of this perspective of our Lord in Isaiah when we learn that the angels say all the time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they repeat it day and night. It's not boring. It's not boring to them. They do this all day long, all the time. And this is their sole purpose, what they were made for. And they do it for the rest of eternity. Can we fathom or imagine who this God is that we serve? Can we get a glimpse of his greatness this morning? His holiness, his majesty versus who we are. Which leads to point number two. Our hope in Christ sets us free from ourselves. Our hope in Christ sets us free from ourselves. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Christ came in the world to redeem us from our sinfulness. The problem is, though, we tend to sort of forget about this and ignore it, not realize it, or we're just plain deceived sometimes that we aren't that bad anymore. We sin, but now that we're believers in Christ, we're now considered what? Saints, right? That's what the Bible says. We are saints, but let's not fool ourselves to the fact that we sin daily. Every day, we nail our Savior Jesus back on the cross. We may be positionally cleansed by Christ, which amen to that, right? Amen to that. But daily, our lives reveal that we struggle. We lack love for God and others. We think wrong thoughts. We react out of our emotions. We fight with other people. We don't pray like we're supposed to often. We don't read the scriptures like we're supposed to at times. And it says if we do anything that's not in faith, it's what? Sin. We sin often, church. If we could stand in the presence of God, it would be like placing a perfectly stark, white, clean, fresh rag next to a rag that has been saturated in oil, and it's so dark that even when washed over and over again, it's still stained and dark. That is how holy God is, and that's how unholy we are in our daily life and how we live. We'll never understand God's grace, his mercy, his kindness if we don't see our sinfulness. I know I say that a lot, but it's so true. Honestly, grace does not mean much to perfect people. It really doesn't. That's in so many words what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The healthy person does not need a doctor. It's the sick. Do we have a realistic view of our wretchedness this morning? our sinfulness? Do we have an accurate view of who we are before the Lord at the present moment? 
I must say, though, what a joy it is. What a blessing it is to know that Christ saved us from ourselves. We, like David, can say we have nothing to boast about or to be prideful for because anything good that is in us comes from Christ. Comes from Christ. Well, the final name of God is found in verse 2. Let's go back to Psalm 16, verse 2. And it says, I say to the Lord, capital Lord, you are my Lord, smaller. We can see that Lord is repeated, verse 2. The first Lord is all capitals, but the second one is not. Why is that? Well, the reason being is because the second Lord is Adonai. Adonai, which means earthly master. David is saying that God is his God moment by moment. David was espousing that God was his God when life was going good, when, when he was getting blessed, when things seemed to be awesome at home, when everything's going great, to when things are just in shambles. He doesn't know where to turn. He's desperate. And David is saying, God's my God all the time, continuously. And when we look at the New Testament, we see a mix of El, that first God we talked about, and Adonai. And both of those are equal to what we see in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. We see Christ as both Lord and Savior, which leads to point number three. We put our hope in Christ. We put our hope in Christ. Amen? Our hope is wrapped up, centered on, focused on the God-man Christ Jesus. So we don't hope in our works and the things that we're doing. We don't hope in our blessings. We don't even hope in our theological formulas. We don't hope in our spouse or our children. I know this is going to surprise a lot of you right now. But we don't even hope in the government. Okay, that was a joke. But... We hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen? 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter says, through the resurrection of Christ, church, we have a living hope. We have a sure hope. We have a hope that leads to an eternal inheritance, it says. This inheritance is worth more than worldly treasures like gold and silver. This inheritance is better than winning the lotto. It's better than millions, even billions. Hope in Christ is greater than having success in this life. This inheritance is worth more than anything we can dream of or imagine in our minds. Which leads to point number four. Our hope in Christ leads to an eternal inheritance. Our hope in Christ leads to an eternal inheritance. Let's get a glimpse of this eternal inheritance just for a moment. Let's turn to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. 
This is God's inerrant, infallible word, church. And it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridegroom, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with man and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, with him. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he said, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God's word says that we will dwell with God for all eternity. There'll be no sorrow, there'll be no pain, there'll be no suffering in heaven. He will make, he says, all things new. Amen? Do we see why heaven is more glorious than the temporary riches of this life? Heaven is sometimes so hard for us to imagine because we are often so worldly focused, earthly minded. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us are more excited more passionate about our heavenward future with Christ than if we won the lotto. Well, in conclusion, David's hope was in the Lord. He filters his life through the word of God. Christ was his hope. Let me ask you this morning, is Christ our hope? Do we live for, for Christ? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That's what we're called to. Is our minds on Christ when we wake up? Are we zealous for Christ? Are we passionate for Christ? Is our life centered around Christ this morning? There may be many of you that don't know Christ at all. And you'd like to learn more how to follow Christ. Well, any time through the week, Pastor Casey or myself would love to spend some time with you and talk to you about the Word of God. Open it up and share the gospel with you. We have a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the um, front desk where we would love for you to sign up and meet with us and talk to us so we could pray with you and open up God's holy and errant Word and show you His truths. Let me say the resurrection was the greatest moment in human history. Like Pastor Casey mentioned we need to live and think about the resurrection daily, not just on Resurrection Sunday. Christ was victorious over sin and death. He is our hope. God has given those of us who are in Christ Jesus' purpose. He has given us an inheritance that will last forever. Ravi Zacharias once said this, Outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in the world. That cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, as we think about the cross, the grave, the resurrection, Father, again, we're in awe. Help us to live that way. Help us to live like the Apostle Paul 
who is so full of the Spirit, Father, that he lived moment by moment with you in view. Help us to be that passionate, that zealous for you, Father. Help us if we are asleep and we're not really that serious about Christ. Wake us up, shake us, Father. We ask that we be diligent. We live in a country where we still have freedom to worship you openly. But it seems how that's changing, Father. Help persecution not be the thing to wake and shake us up. Help us to do it before the time. And to take this time and talk to other people about Christ. Like Paul who risks his life for everything. Help us to be that way. Help us to be believers like that. All for your glory and honor. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.